at night. Hello, cocktail lovers. Welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk, the show brought to you by the 52 Martinis Guide to Paris Cocktail Bars. I'm Forrest Collins, and I'm here to talk to you about cocktailing in the French capital and bring you other small batch spirits news from France and beyond. And I'm really excited this month because we have someone on the show who's usually behind the scenes of the show. Um, my friend, Emily Dilling, who wears many hats, but one of them is she does assistance with the technical assistance and web assistance with this podcast. So, um, so I'm excited to have her here to talk about her book, which is my Paris market cookbook, but she also has a blog. She also has a podcast as well, which is put out uh, like this one on world radio Paris. Um, she writes articles about Paris and food and various types of drinks for other sites and publications. And, um, and I'm really happy to talk to her because she's just a very cool all around smart lady with some interesting things to say about eating and drinking in France. Uh, did I miss anything in my introduction about you, Emily? No, thank you for that introduction. Um, but to add, I, yeah, I love saying things about eating and drinking in France. I've, um, I lived in Paris for 10 years, um, and we spent a lot of that time doing the research research and having experience that are included in, in my Paris market cookbook. And then since then I've moved to the countryside. So I'm living in the French countryside in the wine region of the Loire, um, and learning more about a different aspect of French culture that I didn't um, know about before. So I've been in, in, in France for 14 years now and, um, and, uh, and just in, enjoying the experience of living abroad. And I'm so happy to have been able to put, those experiences and and um, and discoveries into into a book format, and then to keep the book alive by um, by being able to re-release a, an updated and revised edition to kind of make sure that that's that it's like I'm constantly chronicling and sharing um, the a really fast changing food scene, um, whether it be Paris or or just in France in general. I think I think that's the challenge, right? I mean, everything is so so fast changing these days; it's hard to keep on top of it. Um, so I think it's always commendable when somebody does a book update before we dive into the update aspects for those readers who are not familiar with my Paris market cookbook. Can you explain, um, can you explain what it's about? Uh, yeah, just give a little, yeah, yeah, let them know what they're in for with it. Yeah, sure. So the book was inspired by my um, by my quest to find farmers at Paris markets. I kind of looked at them after spending a little bit of time on a trip back home. I'm from the uh, West Coast and from California originally and studied in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so I was visiting friends and did kind of a road trip and I was seeing so many cool food movements. Um, this is around 2005, I guess. And it's like Seattle was building like an edible forest and I had friends in Portland who were members of cow shares because they wanted to have unpasteurized milk and like the farmer's markets of California were so beautiful with, with local producers. And, and when I came back to, I was so inspired to like, um, embrace that lifestyle and that movement in, in Paris where I had lived for about a couple years at that time. Um, I guess this is actually more around 2010. Um, and so I started looking more closely at the, at my neighborhood market, which, um, was, which is so great in Paris, you know, every neighborhood has its market. You, that's one thing that's different than in the States where you kind of have like a Saturday market that's somewhat central, but everyone kind of comes to in Paris all throughout the week, you have little neighborhood markets. And I, I think that's a great resource and an amazing aspect of the markets in Paris and still do. But I realized that there weren't a lot of farmers there. A lot of the stuff was being, was like produce that was being sold by wholesalers or resellers, um, 
And so I started looking for farmers at the market and visiting the different markets of, of Paris, of which there's like 60 or so um, in all the little neighborhoods. And every day of the week, you've got um, different ones going on. And so that was the idea for my blog, Perry Day Zen. And then, um, like I said, this is actually, this is around 2010. Uh, that, that quest for farmers sort of coincided with like a shared quest in the culinary scene for, for traceability, I think, of where products are coming from and also appreciation of the craft and the, and the, the artisanship that goes into making products. So anywhere from like, restaurateurs and chefs like really looking into their and being very proud to like announce and share the the origin of their products in rest in Paris restaurants and the craft beer scene was starting to really um get bigger and gain momentum so people being really interested in having like a beer being not just something blonde and and, and foamy that you have at, you know on a hot day but being really something that's complex and tells a story um I think like there was a kind of a second wave of of natural winemakers just um, really embracing like a zero, zero or low intervention way of making wine and that was being picked up by these restaurants that were paying more attention to their ingredients and so all of that was happening at the same time and so that was what took the idea of Perry Paysan and, and having it be kind of like a farmer's market blog and made it um, and kind of opened doors for me to explore in a whole other realms of the Paris gastronomic scene and so those things all came together um, in in my Paris market cookbook. Yeah. And they can, they come together very nicely. And it's, it's a very, it's a beautiful book and there's a lot of great recipes. And, um, but I want to take kind of a, a deeper dive into how you approached the drinks in the book. So I know, first of all, maybe let's talk about, um, you mentioned the craft beer scene. Can you just kind of talk about your, your impression of the craft beer scene and, um, and how you incorporated that into your book? Yeah, sure. And I think it's, Kind of interesting because I remember when I was starting and I was starting to get interested. I was looking. I was lucky because I was living in the 18th. Lucky because that's a great area to live, and also because it's a kind of and still is a, like sort of an epicenter of beer stuff. So like the Brasserie de la Gouder opened up. Um, that was the first really like craft beer small microbrewery located within in Paris City proper. Um, and then down closer to where I was living, um, there's a little kind of divey sort of hole in the wall bar called Le Super Quam, which has all only French beer. Um, really, they're super selective with these like amazing, um, yeah, like French craft beer. Um, and I kind of started off there, and then realized there's a lot of stuff going on: breweries opening up, bars, um, events, uh, just a growing interest. And I remember talking to you about it in the early days, and you were saying it really reminded you of when the the cocktail scene started to get super interesting and like um, and uh, and become become a thing in Paris. So it was cool to see because um, you had a lot of people working together and uh, supporting each other, you know, and, and really just all working towards the, the goal of having people drink good beer. So that's always super encouraging to see something that's like a scene but not so sceny that it that it feels exclusive. It was very, like, welcoming and inviting. So I was happy to, to be able to jump into that Um and like meet great people and drink great beer. Um, so for me, the I think the the craft beer scene in Paris is something the city can really be proud of because it, it didn't come out of nowhere, but it overnight it, it was a thing. And Paris Beer Week is still like this uh, great yearly event that is creative and um, runs like a huge gamut of what uh, you know for amateurs or makers or home brewers or you know um, just 
people who are interesting, interested in getting in, involved in craft beer or discovering it. So I think that's a super vibrant scene. I think um, if we're going to talk about more adult beverages, I would say the natural wine scene is also super ex- exciting in Paris. And mostly that's because um, of there's such a rich history of natural wine in France. You've got um, kind of the, the the spiritual fathers of the movement that were located in, in the Beaujolais region. But now you've got this like next generation that are a lot of people who are just setting up small small productions and really dedicated to the idea of having the the wine tell the story of a, of a place in a year and not messing with it too much. And so you've got this great uh, fermented grape juice that's happening in, in different regions in France that's getting a lot of international attention. Um, and so, and, and you can find in Paris bars and, um, and wine shops and, uh, and, and that's super exciting for anyone who wants to have a kind of intro to natural wine. I think they can, they have a lot of options for doing that in the city. So, and these are the kind of things that will be in the update of the book as well. So like if listeners pick up the book and they're traveling to Paris, it's got addresses in there that will kind of show them, show them around the, the latest spots to check out the Parisian craft beer scene or France's natural wines, correct? Yeah, and I think in a way like this updated version is even more important than the original in the sense that the original, I was um, just trying to find places where people, like it wasn't a struggle, there's a lot of options, but really finding places that you could have like a great craft beer experience and a great natural wine experience. And like all the places that I found pretty much ended up in the book because they were all really dedicated to moving the movement forward. Five, four years later now when I went to go do the updates and kind of check back on the old places and find new ones, I realized that the old places are still solid and they're still in the book, but some of the new places felt like they were more like co-opting a movement or they weren't really as true to the like to the philosophy of what makes something craft or what makes it, you know, natural or low interventionist wine. And so I feel like in a way you know, the first edition was of the book was kind of like how to find these places, and now this updated edition is kind of like how to make sure you're going to the good, the right place, and not a place that's kind of just riding a, a wave or you know, or kind of you know, using buzzwords to to get you in the door, which which was unfortunately the case for a few places that I checked out. You know, kind of saying that they had natural wine, but it's I don't know, maybe it's organic or something, but it's not really it doesn't it's not an expression of what I mean when I use that term. Or craft beer, I think you have a lot of places that have just popped up and they've got like a cool label and maybe they're not huge, but, you know, they're not Cronenberg level, but they're not a small craft brewery um, and they're making claims that aren't really uh, fair to make, I think. So that was one thing that I thought was really interesting. And like we said, you know, earlier, things it's things happen so quickly that all of a sudden you go from just trying to find hidden gems to just being a little bit overwhelmed with a lot of shiny things. And you want to find out what, what's just shiny and what is actually a gem. I think, I think again, that's just another way that it's, it's, um, reminds me of the, of the cocktail scene in Paris, you know, in the beginning, exactly the same, you know, you were kind of finding these little things that were great. And, you know, now there's, there's so many of these, it's gone mainstream cocktails have gone mainstream and, you almost feels like you don't need to cover cocktails anymore because people can find them so easily everywhere. But at the same time, it feels like it's even more important to you now because, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to, I guess, for people who, who don't have a lot of time in Paris or, you know, who are not really sure for them to be able to sort of easily separate the wheat from the chaff and not just go to people who are following the trend for, for yeah, you know, more naturally, like you can see, 
you know, that, and that's like, I think that's something also about like sharing your experience and not for nothing, like just living in Paris for, you know, decades or whatever, make you uh, a little bit more alert and aware of like signifiers of if this is going to be good or not. And I wanted to share that in the book too, even just for the market, like even if you're lacking the language skills to like speak with the vendor, you know, maybe some visual clues that can help you understand whether or not the person that's selling the veggies is a farmer or, or just someone who's just reselling stuff that they, you know, that's been imported from somewhere else. So I think even if, you know, people, um, even if people have a wealth of options and that, that a scene seems fairly established, I think, you know, having that sort of keen eye of someone who can distinguish between what, what's good and what's not mm-hmm. going to be super satisfying is 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 helpful and I think is invaluable. I mean, it's something that's nice to like impart on on people who have a limited time in Paris and a hit in the miss for them could change the way that their day goes or you know, or their dinner goes or whatever. Or, or their one trip, you know, their one trip to France. Really, I mean, yeah, you know. But even for me, I feel like um, you know, I'm not an expert on markets, so even somebody who's not in who's not just visiting France, who's lived here for a long time, I mean, we can't be experts in everything. So it's nice to have sort of guidance from somebody who, who knows, you know, who spent time doing a deep dive into it. So I'd say it, it can, it can help people who live here as well, not just people who are visiting, um, True, steer totally. people in the right yeah. direction. Um, so, you know, I was thinking since I, I think it's been since, since you wrote the first one and between the update, you've had some experience doing some brewing, you've, um, brewed your own beer and you've also been spending more time in the Loire where you've been, you know, closer to, I know that, um, you were living close to wine, winemakers who were your friends, you were involved in certain aspects of it. Do you feel like that that has changed anything for, uh, how you have approached the specifically the beer and wine topics, you know, how you've, have you approached that in the update to the book? Do you feel like you've kind of come to it with a, like a new perspective, per- perspective on it? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I remember going back to Paris, like, you know, hopping up there I'm about an hour and a half away where I live. So I, I get up fairly frequently, but like slowly after spending more and more time in the countryside and like seeing the day-to-day lives of winemakers um, or like making my own beer, I really like realized how much um, hard work. It, I mean, hard work. Nothing's hard if you're enjoying it, you know. But it's not like, a, but it, but it is a lot of work, and there's so much. It's as physical as it is like mental because there's so much intention that you're putting into what you're doing, and there's you're making hard decisions all the time. Like a winemaker, how they decide to prune that year is going to have an effect on what the grapes are like, you know, six months later. So, I think seeing the hard work, seeing also the like lifestyle that goes into it because it's funny, like natural wine is something you can go or beer. It's a little bit different. It's not necessarily rural, but natural wine, you know, you enjoy it in a city and it's kind of this like fun night out. The people who are making it live in rural France and they yeah. have fun nights out, but it's, it's different, you know, and they're not, um, they're not like well healed, you know, it's just a different style. It's a different lifestyle. And so coming to Paris and seeing the, places in which the wine is served and like the people who are enjoying it is just so different from the people who are making it and how they share it and and I think um that was just interesting to just see two sides of one coin like no no judgment at all it was just it was interesting to see things from the other side and I also realized um that that's like forever changed me no matter where I am and I'm drinking wine or beer I'm always going to be thinking about like the the idea that or the passion like the the intention that the person who made it put into it and I feel like kind of sensitive and empathetic to to like any sort of like vibrations that I get from that product mm-hmm. based on like the fact that a human being was behind it a human being with like ideas and like an 
desire to share and, and like bring pleasure to other people. Um, whereas I think in, in living in the city, you're kind of like a consumer and you can hop around and try a bunch of different stuff and the kid in a candy shop. And I think coming from one region where people are making specific kinds of wine with, you know, with certain varietals, it was, it's really kind of, you just like get to see like a very, get to have like a macro like vision of that world and you just really swim in it. And that mean that just ultimately gave me a, greater appreciation for the final results for sure. I think that's very cool. I mean, I, I guess if you would have asked me that specific question, I would have thought the same thing. You know, there's different ways that people are approaching natural wine that live in, in Paris and, and outside of it where it's just part of sort of part of a, it, just naturally a part of, of their lifestyle. Um, but it's not something I kind of immediately thought of. Uh, what about, what about the craft beer? So that's pretty active in Paris. Is there sort of artisanal beers that you you've noticed that are happening around where you are, or any? You know, yeah, a little. It's cool. I mean, like we, where we live in, um, we're not far from Amboise, and there's a brewery that's still been up there, started by a French and American, like a Franco-American couple that spent a lot of time in the U.S. Um, and so, kind of came up in that craft beer scene there. So I think I haven't been able to. They opened up. I'm I'm traveling now, so I'm gonna hit them up when I head back. But I think you know they're making. The idea is to make like American-inspired beer with quality French ingredients, um, and I think there is stuff happening. I think it, a lot of again, this is also a movement. I think I don't know exactly what the statistic is, but there's like a, like a, a new brewery every four days or something that opens in France. It's it's gotten huge, and they're not all um, super on point. I think um, I think one thing that would be super helpful in in the rest of France, and, not, and I'm not talking about cities, I think each city is kind of having its own little scene, but, you know, in these rural areas where there's smaller breweries starting up is to have more, like, exposure to different kinds of beer, and that's the, I think that's an interesting, like, that's that's where, like, a great, um, like, caviste, or, you know, like a, or a, like a, a wine shop or a bottle shop um, vendor comes in, like, they can do the job of, like, diversifying what is offered on the market and like exposing people to things and I think it's a really interesting circle to see the role that people have to play like if you want to take like wine or beer you can say you've got the producer then you've got the like shop that it's going to be sold in the restaurant that it's going to be sold in um and then the consumer who's going to react to it and like these are all people who play like a super important role in the like gustative appreciation of a product and that's what I think for me I just have so much respect for people who open up like a like a craft beer bottle shop or a wine store like and really take their job seriously because for me that job isn't just to like stock wine and sell it or stock beer and sell it it's also to tell the story of the person who makes it it's like a library that you can go into and like get information about different people and technique and things like that and I think that's um I think that role is maybe not as appreciated as it or not seen as that so much and I think um it's just it's totally vital to the like the survival and to the growth of the of that movement as well. yeah and I think it's important to remind people of that I think we get so busy and we run in and we run out and we grab a bottle of whatever is on promo or you know both as the consumer and as the vendor so I think it's nice to remember that there's a little bit more behind the bottle than just you know just what you're grabbing and and throwing back in an evening. Yeah, there's a story there, and I've, I've been kind of joking that, like, this, you know, that if I have one, like, wish for anyone who, like, buys this book or who, anyone who goes to Paris, it's to not feel bad about making their trip about eating and drinking. <laughs> that's so important. But I also think, you know, it's not just that. Like, you can go to the market and get food to eat, but you can also go to the market and, like, 
look around you and see how people are buying their food, like realizing that you don't, people aren't just grabbing food, they're talking to the vendor, the vendor is picking out the food, you know, there's like cultural differences there, you can use your bonjour, you can, you know, use some of your language, you can do, and it's, and you can see what a na- the life of a neighborhood is like, you can go to a wine store and get wine for your picnic, but you could also ask one question about the wine, and if you're in a good place, they're going to be like, this is the guy who lives here, or, you know, or this is, this winemaker, this, you know, works with these varietals, you can get the story, but also, you know, get a geography lesson or learn something about wine like those are all takeaways too it's not just like gluttony it's like food as a vector for for cultural for a real like cultural ex- exchange with with people which is i think why why we travel ultimately for sure i think with food with 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 wine with alcohol i think that you can learn a lot i mean you can learn a lot about history you can learn a lot about geography um, I mean, it sounds like a bit of a stretch, but it's not really, you know, there's things are so interconnected. So, so I guess, would that be your advice for people traveling to Paris to be curious and to ask questions when they're going into these wine shops? Yeah, I would say without any complex, I would say any, any place that's like included in, in the book would be a place you can feel comfortable to ask questions and you're not, you know, and you're not going to, I mean, people, I think, love to hear, I mean, there's no chef or, or, you know, or, or cavis that's not going to be like thrilled that you're showing interest in what they do you know and so and that's a great way to like to yeah to have a conversation I would say definitely like plan your plan your trip around hitting up you know obviously especially like you said if it's your only trip or your first trip to Paris is definitely like you know a to-do list that's kind of huge and you want to do monuments and stuff like that but um but yeah but like pop into some of these places and enjoy a good meal or have a drink or you know or have some contact with like a local and 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 talk about what they do and uh, I think that's like a really great like memory to bring home and um yeah and, and Paris is full of those spaces I included in the updated version um I included some neighborhood roundups so some of them are kind of sort of easy to you know throw a rock and you'll find some are great like the 11th arrondissement but I also made a point to include like central Paris which is a little bit less um popping with like with uh, sort of craft and artisanal, you know, farm to table addresses, but they are there. So, you know, go spend a day in Luxembourg Gardens and then, you know, there's like Tres Bakery that's right by there that has great, um, yeah, those girls great cocktails are great. and great food and like that's such a, such a great vibe and they're so friendly and, you know, and have a nice time there and we've, we've all got to eat. Why shouldn't it be great? And Paris is a wonderful place to do that except for when it's not. And I think that's just such a bummer to come to Paris and not have a, have a good, um, have good food experiences. It's a, it's a total, you're missing out. Yeah. I totally agree with that. What about, um, now I'm not a coffee drinker, so I rarely have anything to say on the subject. Any thoughts like when you're putting, putting the book together or the update on your take on the Paris coffee scene? Um, besides the fact that it's growing, I don't, you know, and I'm not keen enough. I'm like, I love coffee it's like what I say makes me capable of feeling love like it's very <laughs> vital to, to me but it, as far as like on a technical like these I'm not sure I mean I, I don't know that many baristas personally and I'm, I'm not sure um, I do know that like there's more and more coffee shops opening and a lot of them are um are part of like are like second or third addresses from places that have already like established their you know their their brand or their identity in the Paris coffee scene. So I just think I just as far as like craft coffee goes, I just updated to include all of the new places that I had checked out on visits there. Um, and and there's more and more. And I feel like that's a place where the quality isn't waning too much because there's not a lot of like ersatz craft coffee you know where like, wine can be a little bit tricky because people say natural but maybe it's just like 
you, organic grapes were used, but then when during the vinification process, a lot of chemicals were added. Coffee seems to me, and I'm sure that coffee geeks will have more to say on this, and I'd be super happy to hear their their response. But um, it seems like if you're working with a good bean, you could maybe not have the temperature at the perfect temperature for the water when you're when you're making the coffee. But you've got this like primary product that's not gonna that's hard to um, mess up too much. So yeah, so I had had a great time visiting the coffee shops and like and expanding that but mostly it's just more the more and more addresses that I found since the first publication of the book yeah I mean that's about all I have my only thoughts on it as well is, yep seems to be growing new new yeah. cool coffee yeah. shops opening all the time on the podcast because I I think it's amazing um I love good coffee but I've never put in the time to like geek out on it too much about the the process behind so my favorite topic, the cocktails. So for the listeners who haven't seen the book, um, uh, just a little background. You and I um, worked on some, well, with the help of our friend Melanie, um, worked on developing a few cocktails for it. And I think um, one of them, well, the uh, the fifth season was one that we did where we were incorporating a shrub, kind of working on this idea of extending the seasons, but naturally, right? So... Um, yeah. I think that was the one that had the, the blueberry shrub in it. Is that right? Yeah, totally. It's the blueberry and lemon zest shrub that we did, that, well, that you did. I mean, that was your recipe, and I was super excited to, to learn how to make that because that's, like, a nice little, like, home maceration recipe that you can do to make something that, like, I think adds, like, um, depth to the cocktail and that nice, like, kind of fruity, citrusy thing that was, like, that gave um, – yeah, that gave a little bit of zest to the to our final um, cocktail. It was like super easy to make at home. It was more a matter of time than like than technique. Um, yeah, that was that was really that was a fun discovery while while writing the the book was learning how to make a shrub. Yeah, I kind of feel like a lot of times with food and drink, it really is about time. Like you know, like say for example, you're putting you're you're gonna barbecue something you're not really doing a lot of stuff but you're just like letting it sit for a long time or the same thing like if you just kind of plan ahead and put a little time in like decide I'm going to make the time to create this shrub um you know then it really adds something to add something to the drink and for um, listeners who aren't familiar with shrubs it's it's a way of um it's a way of preserving fruits or, or other vegetables I guess in in vinegar so um so it's just a way of kind of it's it's another method of preserving uh, produce, and then they make some really nice additives for for cocktails. They kind of give it a little, give it a little. I don't know. They can, it's a really nice acidity that yeah. you have. Like it's not too like sharp because you've got the if you're doing it with a fruit, you kind of have that like that sweetness from the fruit, but you do have that acidity, which I think is like important if you don't want to have like a cocktail that's too syrupy or sweet or you know like um, yeah. I think it just gives that nice like sort of added complexity to the to the cocktail i think so too and i think we'll put up on the show notes this month the recipe for the fifth season um do you have just off the top of your head do you have i can't remember what went in it can you tell listeners just what went in it so they know if they want to go digging for the um show notes and and make it themselves to find the recipe yeah yeah sure and it's a perfect time to make it because it's well, here I'm in California, and there's blueberries everywhere. So, um, so what we did was we made the blueberry and lemon zest shrub. So we had um, some fresh blueberries and some sugar and some lemon zest, and then we used the vinegar to preserve that and tie it all together. And then I think we left it for about 24 hours, but I think it gets better with more and more time. And then that, and then we took that 
gorgeous shrub, and then we added it with some dark rum and a little bit of ginger beer. Do you remember? Oh, gosh, it's been a while since I had that. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah, it's super refreshing. It's like that's a great summer cocktail. Oh yeah, that will be really nice. That will be very nice and yummy for summer, and um, and maybe a little bit into fall because ginger will be nice for the fall. And I can see by my timer yeah. that the timer that. I have to cut it short now, even though I really want to keep talking, but, um, but the, um, editor at world radio Paris probably wants me to keep it in, <laughs> keep it in the right amount of time. So I'm just going to say quickly, thank you, Emily, for taking the time to talk to me. And I'm going to put more information about your projects and your book, et cetera, in the show notes. So listeners can get more about that. Thank you so much for it. Thanks so much for having me on. And, and thanks to World Radio Paris for editing and production. And thanks again to Emily because she will also be working behind the scenes on this. Thanks to Sun Little for the music that we use. As usual, please drink responsibly. Um, just one last reminder. I really, really love it when people leave reviews on iTunes just because it you know makes me feel like I'm just not just sitting in a corner and, and just talking to myself. So if you like the show, I would love it if you would leave a little review. And I think that's about it for now. So until next time, cheers. Shiver